Open up our Bibles and we're going to dig in. We're going to start in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14, Bob. And I don't know if you've ever read this before, but these passages that we're going to begin with are actually the passages, one of several places in the Bible, where it describes the fall of Lucifer, the fall of Lucifer, otherwise known as Satan. And many of you probably know, perhaps some of you don't, but Satan was actually an angel at one point, and he was an angel that God cast out of heaven and down into the earth. He was banished because he sinned and committed evil and became Satan as the prince of the power of the air who now rules the present age of darkness in this world, but we have authority over, praise God, in the name of Jesus Christ. So these passages that we're going to start with are the parts, part of this Bible where it talks about the fall from heaven. All right, so pay attention to the language that's used here today, and I'll explain the message that I'll be opening up after that. Verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mountain of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Allow me to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I just ask that you would anoint me today to preach your word. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Help me, God, to just decrease so that you may increase in this place. Pray that your word would come forth in a powerful way that just cuts through like the division of joint and marrow and penetrates into the depths of our hearts. Help us to hear what you want us to hear today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So, really what the Lord is leading me in these two weeks to talk about is walking in humility. Walking in humility. And it's important that we recognize that if we are going to live the life that God has called us to, if we're going to flourish in the purpose, the destiny that God has assigned to our lives, that we can see clearly from Scripture that it is a walk that must be maintained constantly under a spirit of humility, a humble heart. Now, when you talk about humility, and that, that's really the focus, that's the main thing I want to do is to help us to see we want to become all that God has created us to be. And if you remove, remove humility from the situation, then we begin to interfere and interrupt God's ability to really do the work, to really bring us up into the places of our destiny that he wants to take us to. And I'll show you that today and then the next week. But when we talk about humility, you have to really teach on this in a way where you bring the comparison 
between the two inverse relationships that exist between humility and pride. Because it's sort of like a juxtaposition, if you will, where you have to see that these two things operate inversely. They operate inversely. Jesus said, he who exalts himself shall be humbled. So try to raise yourself up and you will come down. But he said, he who humbles himself shall be exalted. So if we live under a spirit of humility, maintaining the proper place that we should be, then God himself will actually promote us, will exalt us into the things of our destiny that he is calling us to. One of the most powerful truths we can really grab hold of in the scripture is that God wants to exalt us. He wants to. He wants to lift us up. He wants to elevate us. He wants to expand our influence and our impact in this world for Him. But He sets some things in order that we have to understand that we must maintain, that we must walk in if we're going to see that type of outcome happen. So when pride increases, humility is decreasing. They operate inversely. But as, as we walk in humility, we're running pride out of our lives and its ability to have an impact on us. When pride builds, a fall is inevitable. It's looming, just a matter of time. When humility is growing and building in our heart, then God's promotion, God's influence that He's raising us up to will continue to grow and expand as well. You have to see that, that these two things are operating almost like a seesaw in verse of each other. Anybody remember those seesaws when you were back in school, like on the playground? You remember those great big long seesaws? Those were awesome, weren't they? I mean, you get on them and, you know, one kid goes down, the other kid goes like 20 feet up in the air. They probably don't even have those anymore, do they? Too dangerous. Anyway, we lived. So... <clears throat> They were so much fun. And, you know, one kid would go down, the other kid would go way up in the air, and then he would go down, the other kid would go up in the air. And then this kid would go down, this kid's up in the air, and then this kid jumps off the side, a kid comes crashing down. <laughs> I didn't do that. You guys sound guilty already. Okay. But they moved inverse of each other. And the pride and humility are much the same way. One is a work of the flesh, and one is a work of the Spirit. And I'll just remind you, the Bible says in the book of Galatians that we are to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. So the work of the Spirit, the work of humility, is the one we must walk in to see God's plan for our lives unfold. But it also says we, that the, the flesh and the Spirit are contrary to one another, which means they're constantly at war. There's, there's always this tension between the two. So let me just remove a possible myth or thought you may have as we go into this, is that you'll all of a sudden figure out, oh, okay, I'm going to walk in humility, and then just decide that, and then you're done, and that's the way you walk from here on out. 
No, there is a constant tension between the two that we have to be aware of, all the more reason to be focused and fixed on Jesus so that we can continue to walk in the place of humility so that we allow God to really be able to promote us and elevate us in our calling the way that he wants to. Look, this is a pattern that you can see throughout all the scriptures, I'm going to give you some examples today, but frankly, I could teach on this from beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, and I could show you where this pattern exists many times throughout. And that is the pattern that when man attempts to elevate himself, when man attempts to be prideful and walk in pride, ultimately he comes crashing down. But whenever man maintains a humble heart and walks in a spirit of humility, there is no end and there is no limit to the places that God can raise him up to and the impact that he can have in this world that we're in. It's all through the script. I mean, think of this, first of all, in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, boom, right off the bat, two chapters into the Bible. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, right? And then you get into chapter three, and guess what happens? They fall. It's called the fall, (laughs) Right? I mean, that's what people call it. And it's because man wanted to be like God. It was the pride of life that tempted them in. And when they partook of the fruit, guess what happened? They came crashing down the fall. Not long after that, in the book of Genesis, we see the Tower of Babel. You know the story of that? The people attempted to build a tower that reached to heaven. Because they had the knowledge and the ability to do so. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up. Worldly knowledge. But wisdom will bring us into the things of God. So the people, of the, they, they built the tower all the way up to the sky. And God said, I'm going to have to deal with this now. They're, they're bound up in pride. They're caught up in pride. And it's got a hold of them. And he brought them down. And that, at that point is where he confused all of the languages. From, from prior to that point, there was one language. So anybody else hate watching movies and then subtitles come up and you got to read it besides me? Anybody else? You're like, ah, Babel, ah, you know? All goes back to you, Babel. Anyway. So we see that in Babel. We see that in the life of Jacob. We see it in the life of Joseph. We see it in King Pharaoh. He was prideful in his heart and God brought him crashing down. We see it in King Saul. He became prideful, and God removed his throne from him and gave it to King David. I mean, this is, this is, and that's only up to 1,000 B.C. This is all through the Scripture. This pattern exists today in our lives just the same way it did when God set it in order in the beginning. And we have to recognize that. And so all these examples and these stories that I just kind of gave you a brief look at, but the one that I want to focus on today... In fact, it's the scriptures, of course, that we just opened up with, is the fall of Lucifer contrasted with the ascent of Jesus Christ. Because in my opinion, these are the two most drastic examples of how pride leads to a fall and humility leads to exaltation. So we see in these scriptures where Lucifer, he's in heaven, He's a beautiful angel. The Bible says that he's adorned with jewels, precious jewels. It speaks in another place in the book of Ezekiel chapter 28 where he had timbrels and pipes and like musical instruments. A lot of theologians would say that that Lucifer was a worship leader in heaven. 
And so he was a beautiful angel. I mean, there was a lot of great things about him. But we just read in those verses in the beginning, it says that he said in his heart that I will exalt myself above to the place of the Most High. And then at that point, God said, now you're going to come crashing down. And he cast him out of heaven, down into the earth and into the pit, Sheol. So think about this. Satan says, I'm going to exalt myself up to the most high, the place where the most high dwells. So the most high is a name commonly referred to of God in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew, it's Elohim, Elohim, which means the place of supremacy. It means that there's no place higher that could be occupied. And I just want to say that that place is reserved only for God alone. He is Elohim. He is at the highest place. He's the most high God. And Satan wanted to exalt himself. Notice the language. He wanted to exalt himself, him do it, raise himself up to a place where he would be equal with or above God. And as a result, he was cast out of heaven and he was cast down into Sheol and into the pit which is the underbelly of the earth, the place where departed spirits go. The place of hell is also referred to as the place of Sheol under the earth. He tried to raise himself up to the highest possible place that he could go, and ultimately he came crashing down to the lowest possible place that one could go. And notice it says that when God said to him, you have said in your heart, I will do this, I will do that, I will do this, I will do that. I will exalt myself, I will elevate myself, I will be like. I found this very interesting. God showed this to me one day. I was reading it. It's like, he says, you have said this in your heart. And God's like, the work of pride begins in the heart. The actions that come out are really just an outflow of what's already been happening on the inner part, in the heart of the man. Prophet Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful above all things and ceasingly wicked. And so Satan is uh, trying to duplicate. He's trying to repeat this pattern in our lives as children of God, the very thing that he himself became the prime example of. That if you will elevate yourself and increase yourself, then you will come crashing down because he wants to see the works of God in the hearts and the lives of his children come crashing down in front of everybody. That's what he wants to see. He wants to bring us down. And pride is his mechanism. It is one of his devices in order to do that. Is anybody with me so far? Now let's compare that to the greatest example, in my opinion, of humbling oneself and actually being exalted by the hand of God. Take your Bible and go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. It says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He is Jesus, and this is speaking about the resurrection. Notice the word ascended. Verse 9. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? 
He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. So the picture that's clear for me is Satan tries to ascend, he tries to exalt and lift himself up, and yet he comes crashing down. Jesus, it says that he descended to the lower parts of the earth. He descended because he was already at the highest place that you could go. He, he is Elohim. So he was already at the place of supremacy. He came down off of the throne and he walked in the incarnation as a man. He humbled himself. He descended. He became lowly. He descended down, fulfilled the work on the cross and the victory. And then it says that God exalted him back up above all of the heavens. Isn't that amazing, the two pictures, the two contrasts between those two things? Folks, the example and the risk are to be found in these two comparisons as much as any other place in the Bible that we can see about humility leads to increase in exaltation and pride leads to a fall. Again, back to, it says he exalted Jesus back up above all of the heavens. This is powerful. There are, the Bible speaks about heaven, and there are actually three different heavens that it talks about. The first heaven is the atmosphere. It's the sky and the clouds, you know, the place where the, the birds can soar and get up to. And then the second heaven is the celestials. It's the planets and the stars and the universe, places beyond our exploration. But the third heaven, get this, is the abode of God. It is the dwelling place of God. And it says that God exalted Jesus above all of the heavens. Isn't that powerful? So here you have Jesus demonstrating the greatest act of humility. He stepped off of the throne and came down to the earth, walked as man, and even went to the cross, suffered and died, was mocked, and was innocent, and yet God took him and elevated him, exalted him back up to a place that was above all of the heavens. Powerful imagery there, powerful picture. And so when we see that, we recognize, okay, God, I get it. I need to walk in a place of humility. But let me say this about that work of humility in our lives. Again, you don't just decide one day, oh, I think I'll be humble. And then you're done, and you just go away. I got that one. Check it off the list. Cool. Put that in the box. We got it now. No. Humility is an ongoing divine work on the human heart. It's, it's a work of God, of the Holy Spirit in our heart that he's doing on us. You can't make yourself humble you know, any more than you can do other things that only God can do in your life. Now listen to this in the book of Philippians, speaking of the, the descent and ascension of Christ, it says in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation 
taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being, in, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on the earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. When it says that he exalted him, let me just make this point. When we read about God saying we need to humble ourselves and then he will exalt us, and then when we read about how God had exalted Christ, the words are different in the Greek. We read it in the English, they both say exalt. In the Greek, they're different. The word for exalt when it refers to Christ, as it just did in these scriptures, is the same description as Elohim. It's to the highest possible place of supremacy. When it speaks about exalting as far as God exalting us, then it it talks about being lifted up, being raised up into a mighty place. But the place of Elohim, of where Christ is, is reserved for him alone. Why is that important? Because he's at the very top and there is all the room in the world to pull us up from there. And that's what he's desiring to do. I don't know about you, but it kind of blows me away. It really does that God wants to exalt me, that he wants to lift me up, elevate me to a place of influence and to a place of favor here in this world so that I can be used by him. But I have to recognize that when it speaks about exalting in terms of how it refers to us, that it is only by the hand of God that that exalting, that that process is happening. It's literally like the hand of God coming up behind and underneath and lifting us up into the places of our destiny that God wants to take us to. That there's no way we can do that on our own. I've come to conclude after years of studying the scripture. It says in the beginning of this verse right here, Philippians chapter 2, it says, let this be your mind as it was Christ. Meaning, just this example of humility, of being humble and coming down, let that be the way you live. Let that be your heart. Let that be your mind. And so I've, I've reached the conclusion after years of studying the scriptures That anything God calls us to do, James, anything, he says, do this, be this way, let this be your heart, let this be how you walk, anything that's like that, that God empowers us by his spirit to walk out that which he calls us to do. Isn't that something? That the ability is actually coming from him to do that which he is calling us to do. When you get a picture of that, I think it helps sort of set the rudder in the sense that, okay, Lord, help me to remain humble. Help me to walk in humility every day of my life. Because this pride thing, it's a vicious dog and it'll hunt every trail. There is nobody immune from this thing. And, And I have noticed and found in my time of pastoring... You know, as you're a pastor and you're, you're leading people through things in their life, it's just the way God designs it, you know, he'll show you things. 
He'll just show you things about people, things that are happening. Like, I couldn't have known that. He just showed me that. And then I'll watch and observe and pray and, and just kind of see that thing confirmed over and over again, if that really was him. And a lot of times, I'll begin to see the early onsetting of pride in people's lives. And let me just tell you what's really kind of remarkable about how it starts. It usually happens after someone has started to experience a degree of godly success. God starts to work. He starts to do something. Because when we come to the Lord, if we're really in that place where we open our heart and let him in, like what better example of being in a place of humility is there than that? I can't do anything, Lord. I need you. I'm desperate. I need a savior. I need forgiveness. Help me, please. I can't do it on my own. That's humility, baby. I mean, you know, there you go. And then God begins to work, and then things happen, and they exceed degree of godly success. God's bringing influence, and they're growing, and all these things are happening. That is usually the place where pride is most lurking and seeking to get in. And it's at that point when that starts to happen, and that scale starts to tip, and they start to switch over to their side, where, I, you know, I've said to me, I'd be like, hey, man, like, I know because I've been through it, like... Just be careful. Don't, you know, stay humble, stay humble, stay humble. And, and I'm just telling you, I wish this weren't the case. But a lot of people don't receive that. And, you know, they'll reject that. And then, sure enough, if you go down the road a, a year, two years later, usually it's not longer than that, but it's about that amount of time. Um, and they stay in that place where they kind of keep walking in pride you'll see a very dramatic fall. And it's very painful. And it's very devastating. I mean, I could list all the examples from infidelity to addictions to divorces to, I mean, just all kinds of things. I mean, it manifests in so many different ways. But the ultimate occurrence, the outflow, is that there's a fall. There's a crash. And it's devastating. And praise God, he's a redeeming God and a restorative God, and he can pick us back up and clean us off and dust us off and, and restore us. Amen. I mean, there's hope in Jesus. Amen for that. Or we'd, we'd all be without hope. But he, God's imploring us, like, don't get to that point. Don't go there. Walk in humility, and I'll continue to raise you up. I mean, when we first started this church in the beginning, you know, for whatever reason, God's favor, we saw a lot of fruit. We saw a lot of favor. Doors opened in the community. People started coming. I still haven't figured out why, but they're still coming. And I just remember, you know, in the beginning, I guess when things are going well, people are like, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? And whatever. And I mean, for me, because God had really worked this in my heart, I was just like, I'm just trying to stay humble. I'm just trying to stay humble. Just trying to stay humble. And I'm being dead serious. Like, I pray for humility all the time because, to me, that's the precursor to influence. And if that, if I, that ever fades, then this fades. And I want what God wants. I'm desperate for that. I, I don't want to mess that up. And I know if I err on this side, man, it's going to come crashing down. It's biblical. He's just. He's consistent. And he's true. He will not defy the laws of that pattern. And if we'll walk that way and stay in that place, then praise God, he will continue 
to, to elevate us, to, to increase our influence to a place, guys, that is far more reaching than we could ever possibly imagine or, or ever do on our own. But if we, if we slip off, it's me doing good. Like you get into this place, and, and I did this message like a year or two ago called The Many Faces of Pride. I don't have time to get into all this, but I broke down like six different ways pride looks. I mean, it's a beast. It's a multi-headed beast, and it looks a lot of different ways in people's lives. It's important we know that because then we can call it out and when it's looking differently in different times. But the point of that is, is when we slip into that place, the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So listen to this. This blows me away. That word resist, God resists the proud, Jenny, it's a military term. It literally means to set oneself against in opposition, to form a hedge or a wall and refuse to allow anything to come beyond that. It was a military term. So when we slip into pride, we literally set ourselves in opposition against God. Is that crazy or what? We literally position ourselves against him in terms of he can't do anything with that. He can't promote you. He cannot raise you up. He cannot increase your influence. He can't grow you into your calling because he resists the proud. If there's pride in that thing, then God will be against it. He will not allow that thing to prosper. He will not put his hand to that and bring that up to the place where he really wants to take the person, but not the pride. Isn't that something? But if we'll allow that work of humility to happen in our heart, for God to do that in us and be submitted to others around us to really be open to allow that transparency so, so that we can continue to be aggressive about making sure that thing doesn't set in in our lives, then we can walk in a place of humility. We can live humbly and watch and see what God does because it's, it's in the humble that his strength is shown out the best. The Bible says that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Isn't that something? I think that's why David said this in the psalm, but he understood this concept, is he said, Lord, examine me, look into my heart, and tell me if there is any iniquity in me to be found, and lead me out into the way of everlasting. I mean, he didn't trust himself. This is another thing about pride. It does not recognize itself. It does not call itself out. And so David's like, I think he got that. And he said, Lord, examine me, God, on a regular basis. Check me out. Look in my heart. See if you, and show me what you see and help me run that thing right out of my life because I don't trust myself to see it. I mean, we go to a doctor for a physical checkup. A lot of people go to a financial advisor for a financial checkup, an accountant, we do all these things, right? I think we need to get in the habit of going to God routinely for a spiritual checkup. Amen. 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 
I mean, too many times, I'm just going to preach this because I'm going to preach it, but too many times, people want all the good stuff. They want all the the blessings and the things, and I, I can't even begin to explain to you how exceedingly precious those promises are. I mean, they're incredible. But if you're going to walk in them, and you're going to see those things happen, then you're going to have to be willing to be open about all of the surgery that needs to be done. You're going to have to allow God to inspect you and look into your heart and show you the things that need to be dealt with. And sometimes it might be coming from a friend who loves you and cares about you saying, hey, brother or sister, I think I see this in your life. And us be willing to receive that. If we're going to experience all this, then we're going to have to be willing and open to receive this. Are you with me? Is this helping anybody today? Awesome. Let me close with this story. Another comparison worth making. And we'll pick back up in two weeks on this. And I can't wait to get into the rest. But one of the great examples I see of humility that, was, that led to exaltation was Daniel. Like Daniel was amazing. He, he was a man who... He was just always humble. Like he got kidnapped when he was a teenager, pulled out of Jerusalem, taken into captivity in Babylon, never got to go back to his family after that. He was never resentful, never bitter, never remorseful. He just kept ascending. He was, Daniel was an advisor and a counselor and a dream interpreter. Awesome resume. Gosh, isn't that great? Man, I wish I had that one. He was an advisor, a counselor, and a dream interpreter to four kings and three empires. Babylon, Persia, Medes, and uh, forget the last one. No, those are the three empires. And it was Darius, Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, and Cyrus. Four kings, three empires. And he just kept, God just kept raising him up. Just kept raising him up. Just kept raising him up. And Daniel just kept staying humble, staying humble, staying humble. It's not me, Lord. I'm going to go and pray. I mean, they, they wanted to kill him and throw him in the lion's den because he, re, he went to pray in his prayer time and stay with the Lord. <laughs> and God just kept raising him up. But then you contrast that to one of the kings that Daniel served under, Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was a king over Babylon. And listen to this, of what it says about him in the book of Daniel chapter 4, and we will close there today. Oh, Lord. Speak to us now, Holy Spirit. Bring this into our heart. Hallelujah. Chapter 4, verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking around the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. Pretty sure he sounded just like that. (laughs) You see the language, right? He's exalting himself. Verse 31. And while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. I don't ever want to be on that side of things. You know what I mean? 
Thank God he was merciful and kind of turned me around. I mean, it never hit me while it was still in my mouth before. King Nebuchadnezzar, the voice from heaven said, To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you. Get this, until you know that the Most High, Elohim, rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. We better know the source. We better know who occupies the highest place that can be occupied. And we better look to him to be the hand that raises us up and not attempt to do it on our own. It's exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar tried to do. And it says, the kingdom has now departed from you. And he fell and came crashing down. Let me just encourage you today. If you've struggled with this thing, if this is something that the Lord is dealing with you about, that he wants to work on, again, let me just stress to you, we serve a restorative God. We serve a redeeming God. We, we serve a forgiving God. Unconditional forgiveness. Only He can set things right for you. If that's you, I just pray that you will open up your heart today. Let God come in and let Him do the work that He wants to do or needs to do in your life. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, you've never made Him Lord and Savior over your life, open up your heart and let Him in. This is the place of humility where it all begins. We humble ourselves to know, I, I need a Savior. I need to be forgiven. I, I need to be restored. I need to be cleansed. And I need a God to raise me up to become all that I'm created to be. And let me say to you, if you've already given your life to Christ, if you're walking with Him, be mindful, reflect often on what humility looked like in your heart the day you opened it up to Jesus. I can think of no better example to give you than that of where you need to find yourself in. Remember often the place you found yourself desperate for Jesus, in need of Him, willing to do whatever He wanted you to do so that you could serve Him and become all that He's created you to be. Amen.